think that's all I got for announcements. Um, I'm going to invite you guys to go ahead and open your Bibles. Um, we are in the book of Titus. How many of you um, have your Halloween costume all ready to go? Halloween's just around the corner. Yeah, some of you have already shown me your Halloween costumes. Well, if you don't um, have your Halloween costume just yet, um, you know, I know a couple of years ago, vampires kind of were all the thing. But this year, I want to encourage you to put away your, your vampire costume and consider dressing up as a Cemex Lectularius, which, of course, is a bed bug. Another blood sucker. Did you guys hear about this story? In Paris, France, uh, there's a bed bug infestation. And first they started showing up in the, the hotels and the Airbnbs, but uh, then it got, you know, they started migrating, if you will, to some of the other places on some of the public transportation. And apparently there are bed bugs everywhere in France. And of course, this is just 10 months ahead of the Summer Olympics 2024. So there's a lot of people freaking out in Paris. Uh, right now. And you can get a really good deal on a hotel if you want to go to Paris these days, I'm just saying. But, you know, the thing about uh, bed bugs, and, and they're not transmitted by dirt or filth or um, bad hygiene or anything like that. The thing about bed bugs is they are transmitted by blood. They love blood. Your blood. They love dog blood. They love cat blood. And um, that's just what they do, is they suck on people primarily, but also animals. And the crazy thing about bed bugs is they can go a long, long time. They can, like, hibernate for like up to a year without any blood. And you think, oh, the bed bugs are gone. But then after several months, even up to a year, um, you can, uh, you know, all of a sudden, there they are again. So they're really, really kind of uh, wily and uh, they just kind of know how to survive uh, uh, through, through lots of uh, difficult challenges. And, and, and that's how they replicate. Is it's, it's all about the blood for them. So you might want to consider uh, dressing up for that. You can go back to the last slide or that just gross everybody out. No, the other last slide. I know, there you go. Um, just wanted to make sure you all know what a bed bug looks like. Really the only way to stop bed bugs, uh, unless you're a professional exterminator, is extreme heat or extreme cold. So you put your clothes in uh, the dryer on high for about seven days, or you put them in the freezer uh, for about a week also. And, and that's kind of the, the, the way to kill them. Or you, of course, can call an exterminator, um, but that may or may not work. And so as we think about these bed bugs overrunning Paris, France, and uh, the importance, what exterminators tell us, is the most important thing when it comes to bed bugs is don't ignore them. You have to do something about them immediately or they will come after you and they will continue to replicate over and over and over. And you might just end up with some welts on your body, lose a little bit of sleep. Anybody else feeling itchy this morning? You're welcome. Now, if we were to replace that word bed bug with false teacher, that's really at the heart of what our teaching is about today in this letter from uh, the Apostle Paul to his uh, protege, one of his protégés, to his intern, uh, Titus. And what he's saying 
in this text that we're going to get to in just a minute in uh, Titus 1 is that when you see false teachers, don't ignore them. Pay attention to them. You've got to respond or like a bed bug, they will replicate, they will multiply in your church. Take these false teachers really, really seriously. Because, I mean, the, the consequences for bedbugs are just irritation and itchiness, right? I mean, to be clear, bedbugs are not going to kill you. But false teachers in the life of the church, they can have eternal consequences, negative eternal consequences. And this is what Paul is writing about. And so I want us to uh, not underestimate uh, the importance and uh, the seriousness of false teachers in the life of the church. So last week we began a sermon series called Titus, Blueprint for a Healthy Church. In case you weren't here last week, let me give you the Cliff Notes version. The Apostle Paul traveled around uh, making disciples and planting churches, which uh, not coincidentally is also our mission and vision, to make and grow disciples and to plant churches. And so Paul would travel all over to these communities, uh, making disciples and planting churches, and then he would move on to the next place. And in this particular church on the island of Crete, he had an intern, a guy by the name of Titus. And he said, okay, we planted this church. Things have gone wonky. They've gone sideways. They've gone crooked. I need you to go back and I need you to straighten things out. And so Titus is on the island of Crete and he's trying to straighten things out. And so Paul he talks about this idea of a blueprint for a healthy church. We could, you know, we could call this sermon series about doctrine, the importance of doctrine, and the consequences of not having good doctrine, but we're calling it a blueprint for a healthy church. He says what you need to do if you're going to have a healthy church is, first of all, you need to build your church on the rock of Jesus Christ. Pay attention to the soil. And then, then the second thing that we talked about last week is... Put leaders in place who have character and focus on character over and over in the life of your church. Oh, you want to have competence for sure. You want to have people who can do stuff and who are skilled and gifted in different ways. But what's even more important uh, than uh, that is character, people with integrity people who are living into who God has called them to be. And today we're going to really look at this idea of stomping out false teachers. And Paul's going to say to Titus, hey, make sure you've got, uh, again, using this idea of a healthy blueprint for, uh, for our congregation, make sure you've got straight lines. It's really important that you are clarifying truth from what's false. Pay attention to doctrine. It really, really matters. What is taught from the pulpit, what is studied in the life of the church, makes an incredible difference. Don't ignore it. Because what we have up here, our doctrine, it's going to guide us in our lives. Okay, I'm going to uh, invite us to bow our heads and have a word of prayer as we jump into Titus 1, uh, beginning with verse 10. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this time together as your people to worship you to consider, uh, God, the ways in which you are speaking to us, encouraging us, and inviting us, God, to be renewed through your word. And so, Lord, we look at this ancient document 
from Paul to Titus written 2,000 years ago. And it, it just continues to be so relevant to our lives today. So Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable. You are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Paul writes this letter. It's a pretty short letter. It's just three chapters long in our Bibles from, uh, to Titus. And Titus is on the island of Crete. And Crete was a place that had a really bad reputation. It was a, a place of wild living, very low morals uh, all the way around. And, and it's really about uh, this idea of how do the people in the church, those who are faithful, how do we live faithfully in a world that is so faithless all around us? And of course, the truth is, the faithlessness is not just in the world around us but it's seeping its way into the life of the church. And we've got to be on our guards of these, these, this infestation of false teaching that continues to creep into the life of the church. So Paul continues uh, in, ver in uh, chapter 1, verse 10. He says this, For there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. And then one of the things that kind of jumped out at me in this, in this uh, first sentence is there are many rebellious groups, not just a few. You know, sometimes I think as Christ followers, we think, well, there's, you know, a little bit of heresy here, a little bit of false teaching there. But the truth is this false teaching, it's all around us in the culture. And we have to be really careful that it does not seep its way into the church. I mean, we're surrounded. We have to really understand this idea that it's not just a, a pot shot here and there, but the attack is full on. And this is what Paul is saying to Titus, is there are many rebellious people all around. And he pulls out this particular group. He calls them the, the circumcision group. And the circumcision group was a heresy or a false teaching that was going on in the early church. And it was promoted by a, a group of people called the Judaizers. And this whole idea, it focused around the idea of grace. What is God's grace? And so I gave us a definition this morning. Grace is undeserved, unmerited, unearned. It is God's favor. Grace literally means it's a gift. And this is why we talk about the gospel, the good news being a gift from God. And this is the central focus of what's going on here. It's this, this idea of grace. Jesus comes to us and says, I've given you this gift you don't deserve it. You don't earn it. I'm just going to give it to you, this grace. Well, in the early church, there was this group of Jewish Christians, these, these Jude Judaizers, if you will. And they said, God's grace is awesome. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And so we receive God's grace, but we're also going to do other things in order to be in a right relationship with God, in order to receive salvation. And, and in this particular circumstance, the, 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 the works, the, the grace plus, is circumcision. And so the, these, these Jewish Christians, these Messianic uh, Jews, they're receiving the grace of God and they're, and they're having this um, evangelizing to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And they said in order for a, a, a Gentile to experience Jesus, they have to first become a Jew uh, to receive this. And in order to become a Jew, the, the covenant sign of being a Jew was circumcision. 
So it's this idea of grace, free gift from God, plus circumcision, this thing that you have to do. And it was very prominent. It was a, a false teaching in the early church. And so this, I, I just kind of give you a definition here. It says, grace plus works is not grace. This is a very prominent uh, heresy, false teaching in the church today. I hear it all the time. I hear it from other Christians. I hear it from other Lutherans. This idea that somehow God's grace is wonderful and it's great, but I still need to do something. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, 30 years ago, I was in seminary in Southern California. And uh, we had a little break, and so we went to, uh, to uh, San Diego from Los Angeles where I was going to seminary. Uh, my wife had a, a, a friend that we went to visit and stay with for a couple days. And so they went off to do their girl things, and uh, we were newly married, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to go to the beach and, and hang out at the beach in San Diego, right? That's what you do in San Diego. So I'm hanging out at the beach, and I'm watching this group of people uh, down the beach, clearly doing some evangelism, talking to people who had come to the beach, and I'm just kind of listening in, and I'm in seminary, and I'm like, this ought to be interesting. And so they're slowly making their way towards me, and one of them finally comes over me and says, hey, if you were to die today would you be sure of your salvation? Are you sure, um, you know, that you're going to spend eternity with Jesus? And I'm, you know, I'm in seminary, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I am sure. And they're like, how do you know that you're going to spend eternity with Jesus? And I'm like, I'm in seminary, just up the road. And then I went on to tell them that, you know, I grew up in the church, and then I want to tell him, you know, that, you know, before going to seminary, I was involved uh, in social work, and I used to work with homeless people, and I kind of ticked off my resume of all the wonderful things that I'd done thus far in my life. And they looked at me and said, it's not enough. I'm like, really? And they said, the only way you're going to get to spend eternity with Jesus is by surrendering your life and accepting his grace. I was mortified. I was so embarrassed because they were right. It's so easy for us to think about our spiritual resume, all the things we do, all the things we've done to serve people. You might even feel a little bit smug coming into church today. Well, I know all my friends and family are sitting home and sleeping. God must be looking at me going, wow, you are awesome. Folks, that's not grace. That's grace plus works. And that, that heresy, that false teaching, I've been guilty of it before. And so anytime we begin to think that God's grace through what Jesus Christ has done on a cross for us is not enough, that we still need to tick off our spiritual resume, it is not grace. Because the moment we add works to the grace of God, what we are saying is, God, what you did on the cross, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't enough. We demean and diminish the cross. And this is the heresy that the Apostle Paul is addressing. And here we are 2,000 years later, and I have gotten it wrong. And I know all of us probably have at some point in time. So Paul says, okay, here's the deal. 
those those uh, those of the circumcision group, those Judaizers. Let's uh, move on to verse eleven. He says they must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Now, what is the dishonest gain here? I don't know about you, but my mind immediately goes to financial. You know, maybe they were just being super religious um, because they were, you know, they're passing the offering plates. They're trying to get more money. And, and you've probably heard it before. Or maybe you haven't thought it before. The church just wants my money, right? Well, I have to tell you, uh, I've been around the church for a long time. I've worked in the church a long time. I've never met a pastor who went into ministry uh, for financial reasons. I haven't. I mean, n nobody gets rich going into ministry. And so I don't think that's what they're talking about. I think the dishonest game that they're really talking about is what I have seen a lot in the life of the church and what I have to always check myself for is the dishonest gain of pride. The dishonest gain of people looking at me and going, man, you're so smart. The dishonest gain of that honor, the accolades that get put on, you know, those of us who are pro professional religious people. You know, this used to be a, a, a respectable position. It's, it's, it's a lot less so now, uh, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. It's probably a good thing. But I've met lots of pastors, maybe you have too, who are just filled with pride, and they love people coming to them and asking questions. And then the pastor gives them an answer, like, oh, it's so good. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, it's like, you feel so good when you give somebody an answer that just, you know, kind of satisfies them. So I think the dishonest gain that they're really talking about here is honor and value. He says, man, they're, they're in this for dishonest gain. They just want to feel important about themselves. And he says, really, the only solution is to silence them. These false teachers, you've got to silence them. And I think in t today's culture, the, you know, really the only way to silence false teachers is, is one, to take away their platform. But then two to just speak God's truth so clearly and so compelling that their voice, their platform, their false teaching, it just fades away. And I, I, I'm not going to pretend that this isn't difficult. It's hard when false teachers are uh, teaching things in the life of the church. Verse 12, one of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. It was actually a Greek philosopher, a guy by the name of Epimenides. He was a poet. He was a philosopher. He lived on the island of Crete, and he would explain to other people, this is who Crete people are, who Cretans are. They're liars. So this isn't coming from Paul. This is coming from a Greek philosopher. And then Paul gives a little commentary on what Epimenides said. He said, this saying is true. They are liars. The people who are on this island, and especially in the church, they're lying to you. And so you need to take the reputation of the Cretans and pay attention. They're liars. And there's lots of lies that get spoken in the life of the church. Grace plus works equals salvation. It's a lie. And I know oftentimes we, when we lie in the life of the church, it's unintentional. 
I hope you've never misunderstood me through the years. This idea of it's grace alone. I mean, we Lutherans of all people, we ought to know. Sola gratia was the word that Martin Luther used. This idea of it's grace alone. There's no such thing as grace plus works. And so what Paul's going to do is he writes to Titus. He's going to contrast this idea of truth and falsehood, truth and falsehood over and over and over. And it's going to land squarely in this idea of doctrine. Verse 14, Paul doesn't hold back. He says, therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to the Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. Paul says you've got to rebuke them. You've got to be very clear. Don't tolerate. Don't put up with false teachings in the life of the church. And I know we live in a culture, it's my truth and your truth, and everybody's got their own truth. And what Paul says is there is only one truth. And when people start leaning into this idea of having their own truth, you've got to rebuke them. You've got to silence them. You've got to respond. We cannot be casual about this. Call the exterminator. Can't be lazy. And I see this all the time in the life the church, as false teachings continue to get spoken, it just drives me crazy. The, the casualness of how we respond to these false teachings. Paul says, this is serious stuff. We can't tolerate it. We've got to do something about it. And then he continues on, verse 16. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable disobedient and unfit for doing anything good. I mean, how do you really feel, Paul? I mean, he doesn't hold back at all. He says these false teachers, they are poisonous and they're killing faith in the life of the church. There's consequences, eternal consequences. And they roam about looking like sheep in the life of the church. But they are wolves. And they're so hard to distinguish sometimes. I mean, does this make any sense? Is this resonating with anybody? Just me? I mean, this is what's going on. Not just out in the culture, but in the church, the greater church. This is dangerous. And we ought to feel like our guard is up. Paul tells Titus, man, you've got to be so careful. And when you hear these false teachings, you've got to silence them, you've got to rebuke them, and you've got to draw a clear line between what is right and what is wrong. And I know that's so countercultural. I get it. I understand it. And Paul says, if you want to build a healthy church, You've got to plant it on the soil of Jesus Christ. You've got to build a foundation with leaders who are filled with character, and you've got to develop plumb lines. And your plumb lines are truth. Those of you who are in the construction business, you know all about plumb lines, right? It's about having straight lines, angles that actually work. None of this kind of willy-nilly, kind of eyeballing it kind of thing. That's not plumb lines. 
Paul says you've got to make it very, very clear between what's right and what's wrong. This is what Christian doctrine is all about. And so I put an image up here of a, of a level. It's kind of what a plumb line looks like today. There we go. In ancient times, they used, you know, a, a string with something heavy. John, do you guys still use those today? Still use the string? You're still old school? Always. Yeah, that keeps the line straight, right? And of course, what keeps us straight, keeps us in the truth, is God's word. You know, this past week, I got to spend uh, several days in St. Louis with a group of Lutheran congregations in mission for Christ. And this is the, the very heart of the issue this church was birthed out of. So in 2001, when Lutheran Congregations and uh, Mission for Christ, LCMC, was formed, there were 27 congregations that looked around and said, there is false teaching in the life of the Lutheran church. We've got to get clear on our plumb lines. We've got to get clear on our theology. So in 2001, they started this organization. And today, there are 979 congregations. And so uh, last week, I got to spend time uh, in St. Louis with about 800 different leaders. I don't know exactly know how many were there, but it was a lot. Ed Stetzer was uh, our, our keynote speaker who uh, 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 works for the Billy Graham Center. And uh, so he really talked about kind of what's going on in the culture and in the world today. And frankly, a lot of it was not good news. We already know this. But he just confirmed it, and really his message to all of us was, but hang on, but hang on. Because after every turmoil in a culture, in a society, there is revival, there is renewal. So keep faithful. It was a very encouraging message in the midst of lots of dis disencouraging information. But this is how Faith Lutheran Church got started six and a half years ago. Some of you are here. We're gathered together and just really wrestling with the false teachings in a church. The false teachings in an entire denomination. Many of us looked around and said, things have gone sideways. We've got to be clear about God's word. And so we started out on this journey together. By the way, fun fact for those of you who are here, I put an arrow. See the uh, balding guy in the back? You know who that is? That's Pastor Mark Martin. He was the first pastor of this church. And I got to have uh, lunch with Pastor Mark and Cindy, and it was just this wonderful conversation. Uh, they're up in Hazen, North Dakota, of all places. They love it there. And the people love Pastor Mark. And he says, hey, when you go back to faith, uh, send our greetings to you all. He, he was the first pastor of this congregation. And there he is continuing to serve. So it was, it was a week of um, worship, it was a week of Bible study, it was a week of fellowship, and it was a week of prayer. And just gathered around God's word, celebrating that, that God's plumb lines are still good. God's plumb lines are still enough. That God's doctrine continues to speak to us today, and it needs to speak to us today. And by the way, it was so fun um, to, to have the Norwegians you know, show up to the uh, LCMC conference. Wasn't it fun to have the Norwegians with us last week? So yeah, I, we showed up at the LCMC conference last week, and um, I'm walking around with them, and people are like, oh, who are these guys? And I'm like, oh yeah, I've been hanging out with Norwegians this past week. They came to our church. 
And Yarla said he was going to uh, tune in and watch this morning. So good morning, Yarla. It's good to see you. Uh, well, you can see us, but we can't see you. But we're glad to have you worshiping with us again today. They loved being with you guys last week, and the Norwegians did. And so it was just really, really fun and rich to be a part of this community that just honors and values the importance of God's truth. We can never abandon God's truth. And so as the culture around us continues to fall apart, we continue to see church after church caving in to the values and the false teachings of the culture. I think Paul's letter to Titus is so relevant today to us. It was written 2,000 years ago. And Paul's saying the same thing to us as he's saying to Titus. Be careful. You've got to respond to these false teachings. Don't let your guard down. Call early bird pest control. By the way, they're in Arizona, so uh, don't call them here. We've got to respond. We've got to take seriously the false teachings that are going on in the church. I have to tell you, as a pastor, as your pastor, one of my greatest fears is that I'm going to lead you astray. Every week when I prepare a sermon, my fear is that I am going to stand in this pulpit and preach heresy. That I am going to say something either intentionally or unintentionally will deviate from God's word. It, it terrifies me to think that I might preach and teach something to you that can draw you astray. And, and furthermore, it even says in the book of James, I'm accountable. You know that? I'm accountable to any kind of false teaching to you. This is what James writes in James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know we who teach will be judged more strictly. So someday you're going to stand at the gates of heaven. We're all going to be judged, right? And I get to be judged more strictly. Isn't that awesome? That terrifies me. I mean, I got to get it right, folks, and I'm not always going to get it right. And this is why it's so important for you to be reading your Bibles. This is why it is so important for you to be gathering together in your, in your life groups, in your small groups, to be studying God's Word. Because you should, I'm not the plumb line. I'm not the doctrine. God's Word is. And whenever I stand up here and preach, whenever you hear me say something, you should be fact-checking me against the true plumb line. I'm just, I'm just a preacher. I'm just a teacher. But, but don't, don't mistake me for being the truth because I'm going to get it wrong. I got to tell you, this is really personal for me too because through the years, for 30 years of ministry now, I follow different pastors. I follow different leaders. You'll, you'll see me sometimes or you'll hear me quote other preachers, other pastors from time to time. And over the last five years especially, I have seen one pastor after another fall. And it, it just makes me shudder. Because these are some of the most prominent, uh, influential leaders and pastors in our nation, even globally. And as they fall, and I'm like, man, I, used to, I, I follow that pastor. I follow that preacher. Perry Noble, 
Mark Driscoll, Ravi Zacharias, Bill Hybels. I mean, we've heard about these scandals, right? Some of them, these pastors have fallen into sin. Others have gone off the rails with God's word. So this past week, after this wonderful conference in St. Louis with these LCMC pastors, I learned about a false teaching by one of my favorite preachers and teachers, Andy Stanley. I've been following Andy for over 20 years. I've listened to hundreds, not an exaggeration, of his sermons. I've read over a dozen of his books. I have quoted him from this pulpit. And then I heard his voice this past week preaching heresy, preaching false teaching. And I don't have time to get into it today, but it just broke my heart. And all week long, I have just been messed up with what do I do with this? I erased his podcast from my phone. I took all the books that I've read and I threw them away, like I've done with these other preachers. You'll never hear me quote Andy Stanley again from the pulpit because he's strayed from God's truth. And I hate to have to stand here in front of you and say that. But Andy Stanley, he's not the truth. This is. And we've got to hold one another accountable. We've got to draw a line in the sand and say, when somebody strays from God's truth, that's it. We've got to silence them. We've got to rebuke them. The gospel's too important. God's truth is too important for us to just casually say, can't we just agree to disagree? On many issues, yes. On most issues, we can agree to disagree for sure. But on issues that are fundamental to the Christian faith, on issues that God's word speaks clearly, no. We can't just agree to disagree. Paul says to Titus, make a clear plumb line. There's truth and there's falsehood. And you've got to be clear in the life of the church. And Jesus tells us, hey, this truth really matters. In John 8, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you who are truly my disciples, if you remain faithful to my teaching, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Folks, our freedom is at stake here. If we want to be followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to stand on his truth. And he promises us, if you want to truly be my disciple, stand on the truth and my truth will set you free. It's been a hard week for me, but I feel free. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that men and women, leaders in the life of the church, 
fail. And God, I confess for the ways and times that I have failed you and failed in the life of this congregation. And so God, help us to never grow complacent. The falsehoods, the false teachings in the life of the church. But God, you've given us the truth. So Lord, help us to stand boldly, confidently on your truth. Because when we do, you promise us freedom and joy. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.